You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, episode number 55. This is the second part of a two-part episode, so if you did not listen to last week's episode, please pause, listen to that one first, and then come back. This one will be really confusing if you didn't listen to that previous episode first. Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Blitzbach. So a super quick reminder of where we were last week. I told you all about my horrible fear of snakes, and then we got into understanding fear. Fear is a chain reaction in the brain that happens when you encounter something potentially dangerous. The hypothalamus communicates with the rest of the body by way of the sympathetic nervous system, which is the gas pedal for fear. It also activates the pituitary gland, which is where the nervous system meets the endocrine system, triggering a longer duration fear response. The hypothalamus sends impulses to many different parts of the body to trigger that fight-or-flight response. This prompts changes to give your body a burst of energy needed to defend yourself or escape a potentially harmful situation. It increases breathing and heart rate, dilates blood vessels to muscles, and inhibits parts of the body not immediately essential for fighting or running, such as the digestive, immune, urinary, and reproductive systems. This is literally happening as fast as a nerve impulse can race along your nerves. At the same time, the hormones of fear start to kick in. The other way to get messages to many different parts of the body is through the hormones secreted by the endocrine system. The pituitary stimulates the adrenal gland, which produces adrenaline and cortisol. These hormones are carried in the bloodstream to all parts of your body. The effects of adrenaline, aka epinephrine, is similar to the effect of the sympathetic nervous system. These hormones boost activity in the heart and lungs, reduce activity in the stomach and intestines, and much more. Fear hormones result in a longer-lasting and more widespread fight-or-flight response than the effects of the sympathetic nervous system. Cortisol, the second hormone released, increases blood sugar level by converting stored glycogen and fats into glucose and suppresses the immune response. Fear hormones explain why you may continue to feel the fight or flight response even after you realize there is really no danger. But these hormones can be triggered by daily stress, like a cancer diagnosis, leading to chronically elevated adrenaline and cortisol. I want to get into why it is so important to recognize this instinctual pathway and try to overcome it. Our bodies cannot maintain a prolonged fight or flight response. After an individual has fought or fled a dangerous situation, their body needs to shut down the fight or flight response and return to normal. This reversal of the fight or flight response, as mentioned, is caused by actions of the parasympathetic nervous system, or the break. The parasympathetic nervous system consists of branching nerves that carry nerve impulses to parts of the body previously stimulated by the sympathetic nervous system. It causes the body to restore homeostasis, or a balanced state, 
by relaxing and restoring basic life processes needed for maintaining health. Modern daily life and life after cancer can involve many stimuli that are perceived as threatening, problems at work or at school, money or social problems, cancer imaging or doctor's appointments, new pains or other symptoms, hearing that someone else was diagnosed or died can trigger a chronic or long-term fight or flight response. Even anticipating or worrying about the possibility of a recurrence in the future can trigger the same response as actually experiencing it. Chronic stress occurs when the fight or flight response does not shut down to allow for the proper balance between fear and relaxation. Stress can increase risk of health problems. The fight or flight response uses calories, so the urge to eat makes sense after running away or fighting. But eating in response to daily stress when we release epinephrine and cortisol without running away or fighting can lead to weight gain. When the fight or flight response causes blood pressure and heart rate to remain high, it puts extra strain on blood vessel walls. As a result, the lining of the blood vessel walls can become damaged. This can lead to clotting at places of damage and ultimately interruption of blood flow to the heart and a heart attack. Blood vessels in the brain can also be damaged and blocked, resulting in strokes. People suffering from stress secrete cortisol at much higher rates than normal people. Increased cortisol levels cause elevated blood sugar levels, which can lead to both weight gain and diabetes. There is evidence that abnormally high cortisol levels may also be the initial trigger for depression in some people. High cortisol levels result in sleep deprivation, and we've discussed in the past that poor sleep also leads to impaired health. Stress hormones also affect the immune system. Stressed individuals produce lower levels of antibodies when exposed to pathogens. They also produce higher levels of cytokines or inflammation-triggering chemicals. Excess inflammation is thought to increase the risk for heart disease, diabetes, and some forms of cancer. This chronic type of stress is within your ability to change with behavior modification and thought management. Managing the fear in our bodies, calming ourselves with deep breathing, meditation, massage, warm baths, exercise, all help to dispel the excess adrenaline and cortisol. Thought management or learning to control your thoughts, choosing thoughts that do not bring as much fear, all are effective in changing these things. Way back at the beginning of the podcast, I think in one of my first or second episodes, I talked about the timer technique to help limit fear and anxiety. You put aside 15 to 30 minutes per day, morning preferably. You get some uninterrupted space and time, and you set the old school white kitchen timer with the turny dial. Then you let all of the fear thoughts be there. What if I recur? What if this comes back somewhere else? What will happen to my family? Let all the thoughts and all the emotions be there. You may need to cry a bit. Really open up and let them all be there. Then when the timer goes off, you are done with these thoughts for the day. When you start noticing them again, you think, no, we are done with that for today. There is time set aside for them again tomorrow. Now I am thinking about what is making me happy, what I am enjoying, what is going right, what I am looking forward to or what non-cancer challenges I have to address today. Each time a thought surfaces, 
you kindly, gently tell your brain, no, put a pin in it. We can think about that tomorrow morning. It is really amazing how well this technique works for people. I created it more than 20 years ago for patients, and so many people have told me how well it worked for them. Give it a try and let me know if it helps you too. Now is as good a time as any to tell you something really interesting about fear. Fear is contagious. We know this instinctively, right? The reason I am telling you this is that exposing yourself to lots of people who are terrified and having lots of symptoms from cancer is actually contagious and can increase your fear. While I was researching this podcast, I found a really interesting example of this. In 1998, at a high school in Tennessee, a teacher complained of a pungent gasoline-like smell in her classroom. Soon after, she became ill reporting symptoms of nausea, shortness of breath, dizziness, and headache. Almost immediately, several students in her class started to experience similar symptoms, and before long, the rest of the school was stricken as well. The building was evacuated as firefighters, ambulances, and police arrived on the scene to tend to the sick. That evening, the local emergency room admitted 80 students and 19 staff members, and 38 were hospitalized overnight. But what was the mysterious toxic gas that sparked the outbreak? Several extensive investigations by government agencies found nothing. Blood work and other tests showed no signs of any harmful compounds. Instead, according to a local epidemiologist, the fear of being poisoned had spread, fueling the symptoms experienced by everyone inside. A report in the New England Journal of Medicine attributed the outbreak to a phenomenon known as mass psychogenic illness, which occurs when the fear of infection spreads just as virulently as the disease itself. The students and staff had decided that, based on the behavior of those around them, there was a real threat they needed to be afraid of. The outbreak in Tennessee demonstrates that people can be scared to the point of sickness without there being actually any real threat present. I tell you this to make you aware of why so many oncologists tell you to stay off of blogs and negative groups. There is a real risk that hearing other people's horror stories will increase your risk of developing some of the same symptoms. This is also the reason that I personally do not read the inserts that come with medications. If I have a symptom, I will go back and see if that is attributed to the medicine I'm taking, but I don't give my brain fodder for looking for bad effects. I have to say, I wish sometimes informed consents didn't exist. I totally understand why they need to, but they also add fear and anxiety to cancer treatment. So try to protect yourself from catching fear. If you have a friend or family member who always wants to tell you the worst, Blame it on me with my full permission. Tell them Dr. B said, it is not good for me to hear these types of stories. They release bad stress hormones into my system. Please don't tell me anymore. They actually may be inhibiting my immune system and increasing my risk of recurrence. If they are a decent friend, they will respect that. If they refuse to stop, well, you may have to listen to the podcast I did on when people say the wrong thing. Finally, I want to end with a little discussion on searching out fear 
for all the people who may not be struggling with fear and may have a different experience with it. There is some evidence that suggests that thrill-seeking is like anything pleasurable. Gambling, sex, drugs. It releases dopamine in some people. You may remember from earlier podcasts that dopamine is a neurotransmitter that helps control our brain's reward and pleasure centers. The more you reward something, the more that person will do it. The more that thrill seekers seek out dangerous behavior, the better they are able to engage the cortical high road and provide rational context that the thrill seeking behavior isn't dangerous. Extreme sport athletes are a great example of this. They continue their dangerous behavior because each time they do it, they survive. It is interesting to note that there are some people who genuinely seem to enjoy being scared. Glenn Sparks, a communications professor at Purdue University, says, We know there are some basic individual differences in how people are wired. Sparks specializes in the cognitive and emotional impact of the media, particularly horror movies. He notes that some people are wired to seek out highly sensational experiences. When they are exposed to the kinds of experiences, they get the adrenaline rush. He likens those who enjoy watching horror movies to people who like riding roller coasters. And Sparks says thrill-seekers seem to have a gender bias. Men have been socialized not to show signs of distress, but to conquer it. For females, it is much more acceptable to show signs of distress. We can overcome some of our fears by continued exposure to them. By constantly exposing ourselves to our fears, whether it is extreme sports, horror movies, or snakes and spiders, our tolerance for them will grow, said Sparks. Many people generally consider fear as an unpleasant emotion, but some go out of their way to trigger it, such as by jumping out of planes or watching scary movies. In this way, people get to experience the rush of fear before our more reasonable brain centers dampen it down. I'm continuing to think on if there's a way to turn cancer fear into this. So far, I haven't come up with a way. I think the fear-seeking requires that you be relatively certain that what you are doing is not going to hurt you. But I do wonder if seeking out more things that generate fear and are safe might dampen some of the cancer fear. I'm not advocating a thrill-seeking lifestyle after cancer, but if you have already gone there and it worked, I would love to do a podcast with you. 100% reach out to me. Okay, my friends, that is it for this week. Remember, your fear is from both your nervous system and your endocrine system. The first big rush may not be controllable, but our brains can override the continued fear response with rational thought. This is not only more comfortable, it is more healthy because chronic fear leads to changes in our bodies that are not helpful. Remember, soothing your body needs to come first. Deep breathing, meditation, sex, exercise, massage, a cup of hot tea, whatever you know soothes you, and then you have to work on your thoughts. I am here and happy to help with that. You can reach out for a mini session to discuss. Email me at deborah.butzbach, B-U-T-Z-B-A-C-H, at bestlifeaftercancer, all one word, dot com. 
I look forward to chatting with you. Have a great week. Hey friends, you may know I took a break from coaching this summer, but I am ready to get back into the swing of things this fall. I am actually going to be doing both a cancer fear coaching group and a weight loss coaching group. If you want more information and to be the first in line to sign up, you can reach out on my website. Sign up for the email list at bestlifeaftercancer.com and you will be in the know as soon as details are released. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. Did you know you can get more information on my website, bestlifeaftercancer.com? There is also a Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD, where there is a group just for survivors. Here you are able to interact with me, ask questions, and get more help. I'd love to see you there. Have a great week, and I'll speak with you soon.